Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. So I'm going to endeavor to talk with you for a little bit. Um, I don't... I don't necessarily want to say preach this morning because uh, I was going to start a new series today, and I really woke up this morning feeling, Lord, I don't feel it's quite ready yet in the sense of, like, my message is ready and what I'm going to preach, like, all that stuff. Like, I know where I'm going with it, but I felt like where we've been in the last six weeks, it's been full of, like, highs and lows. And I, I always think of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I use this message at funerals lots, where he says, you know, there's, there's laughing and weeping, there's joy and dancing, uh, or there's, there's, there's dancing and mourning, and there's joy and sorrow. And, and the writer intermingles all the good with all the bad. And I'm like a kind of pros and cons guy. Like, like, okay, if we're going to talk about the negative, let's do it real quick. Let's over here. And the positive end is over here. And, and uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is like, no, no, they're all woven together. That's life, people. Sometimes you're like, I can't believe, like, God, this is so amazing in life. If only could, it, could just something go right. Because you're, you're trying to weigh, is the good outweighing the difficult? And you're trying to, we're trying to tip the scale so there's always more good than negative. But can I tell you that God is good in all of that, and, and the scales will move back and forth on this side of eternity. That's, that's the fallen nature of this world. But where we've been, I've really been feeling um, that the word that came through Pastor John and Tia uh, for Brandy and I, but I think it's for the church, is that we are to be a people of strength and we find that in coming close to Jesus. So the series that I, I'm going to start next week, we're going to do a three-week mini-series going to the first Sunday of November. Uh, it's called Offended and Not Happy. And we're going to dive into the relational aspects of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And uh, when I went to camp this summer, uh, I was talking in June and July with a pastor that invited me. And he really challenged me. He said, Jeremy, I would love you to preach on offense and deal with some things because he goes, come in and tell, tell my church and people things that I can't say to them. I said, oh, Lord, this is interesting. And it went well. And then I'm like, I'm just going to put that on the shelf. I don't know if I'll ever preach at Glory Hills. And the Lord's been stirring my heart the last two weeks that uh, this is going to be a, a three-week series. And we're just going to walk through some things. And uh, I'm actually very excited about it. Uh, because I actually think there's some keys to freedom and release as we, uh, it's not about everyone else getting their hearts right, as we set our hearts right before God, and as we learn to walk through that, we're going to experience some things. So that was what I was working on. But this morning I got up, and um, what I do a lot of Sunday mornings, I get up, I shower, I leave the house before Brandy and the kids are up, and I go find a coffee, and I pray, and I go over my stuff. And I was really just feeling like I could push into that, I could really just start it, but in light of, I was just saying, like, Lord, where are we at? And, and I know there's a lot of feelings and emotions, and there's been situations for people that they've been going through. And, uh, you know, I think of uh, the ups and downs, you know, for Jeff, and, and praise God, he's here, and God's moving his body. Uh, another report I want to tell you about is there was a young man I told you were praying for. They found a, a tumor in his calf, and... Uh, the young man's dad's been a friend of mine for almost 25 years. We went to high school together. We went to Bible college together. 
And when your friend calls you and I say, hey, how's it going? And then they say, not good. Also a pastor. And they tell you, this is, this is what happened. I, I left for a trip and we knew there this, this tumor, this lump was there and they were doing a biopsy. And the week he got home, they got the diagnosis that it's cancerous and their 14-year-old son's going to need uh, part of his calf and his leg removed and radiation and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, I just sat there on the phone with my friend. I'm like, I, I can't imagine. I don't even know what to say. I couldn't imagine talking to one of my sons through that and my wife and, and family. And uh, so we prayed on the phone and I brought it to the church and we've been praying. Well, on Tuesday this last week, Brandy and I are on our last day of holidays. We're playing cards in the morning and Brandy gets a text from uh, his wife and she says, Brandy, we just left the doctor. You won't believe this. The doctors gave us a second report on the biopsy, and the whole tumor is benign. And come on. So they're like, you know, now, now we're talking about a surgery and physio, but hey, he's young. Like physio is way different than radiation and chemo and all those things. And so we praise God for that. And the very next day, I get messages from other people that, hey, it feels like our world's falling apart. And like literally for the last six weeks, uh, Brandy and I, and then some of the leadership team, and Larry knows a lot about this. Uh, and when I keep bringing Larry's name up, I hope you know that when we talk about this, is because he leads the prayer teams. Uh, those of you who are praying as part of a, a prayer chain and, and with eldership, he holds a lot of these things because what I know about Larry, and I got to be careful how often I do it, when I text him, even if he's working and he sees a text that we need to pray, he puts down his phone and he says, okay, I'm going to pray for as long as I can right now before I have to get back to work. Because he does, he truly carries these things in his heart as someone who wants to bring people before the throne of God and see God's best and his purpose worked out in their lives. And, and so we've been, you know, every day it's like you got praise reports and then the next message I have to text leadership, hey, by the way, this is also happening, please be praying for this. That's kind of been the season. And as I was reflecting on that this morning, I think I'm, I'm just in a place where I'm going to be 40 next month, and I kind of feel like, this was the weird, I I got this picture, uh, like I I always said to Brandy, I was like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, some parts of life feel like a wilderness experience, so like maybe after 40 years it'll end, but then I thought about Moses, like when he turned 40, God sent him to the wilderness for another 40 years uh, to wait, and then when he was 80, he got the people, and then he had to lead them for another 40 years, and then he got to overlook what God was doing, he didn't even go in, and and you kind of got to submit yourself to, hey, if I said I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to do it on his terms, and so I've been like kind of in a reflection mode, birthdays kind of do that to me, i this is my excited face. Um, I don't react like super huge on birthdays and things like that, but I do. I always kind of get reflective. And uh, for me, 40 is a big one just because I'm like, Lord, uh, as I look at your faithfulness and I look at different things and I, I'm moving into this, I, I'm trying to really say, Lord, show me how to lead people forward in faithfulness and consistency to what you want for their lives because that's actually the only thing that's got me this far. I really believe that. And I was thinking about that, and the Lord brought my attention to some messages I preached almost uh, five and a half years ago. This Sunday today is actually four years to the day that I started in the office as the lead pastor of Engaged Church, St. Church Glory Hills. And I, I can honestly say that it feels like it's been a decade on some planes, um, 
with a stupid building in HVAC, which, by the way, just keep praying. Uh, <laughs> we'll just say that for now. Board member Matt McKinnon on the front is going to get a phone call later this week about how we deal with this, so right on. Matt's like, great. Um, but then there's moments where it feels like relationally and with our teams, like we're just getting started. And, and you know, that's one thing that I was like, oh, I'm really excited about. But the Lord brought me back to two messages this morning as I was praying. And one of them was called Hope Floats. And the next one was called So What Now? And I feel like out of pure vulnerability and sharing, there are many people in our church that are in this place in between where I was in these two messages. And so what I want to share with you a little bit is uh, some scriptures from a message I, I shared about uh, five years ago called Hope Floats. And I shared the message on May 13th in 2018. And I wrote a message and I talked about Moses, and I talked about how in Exodus chapter 2, and I've asked the team not to put all the scriptures on the screen. Keith is going to do his best with Anna Rose, who's on Pro Presenter, to put some, yeah, come on, thank God for the teams, to put references if you want to go back and read these. And in Exodus chapter 2, the beginning of it, there was uh, the story of Moses' parents, and they saw that he was an unusual child. And when the mandate went out from uh, Pharaoh to throw all the babies into the Nile, she gets this God idea. It had to be the Lord. She weaves this basket, and instead of uh, throwing him into the river, letting the soldiers do that, she puts him in a basket on the river, and he floated over. The very thing that was supposed to destroy him, God brought Moses above to create a deliverer to bring them out of Egypt. And so I'm preaching this message, and, and I wrote this message on Hope Flows because I, I was saying things to the church at that time. Some of you, uh, many of you weren't here. This was, I believe, in King Street, the original, uh, one of the original locations, uh, like the more original permit locations. There were like seven other ones before that that were like even sometimes for one or two Sundays. And I was trying to tell people, when things are going chaotic all around you, and I feel like that's where the world's at right now, I think that's where some family situations are, we need to learn to see Jesus differently. And so I, uh, I use 2 Corinthians 5.16, it says, so then from now on, from this point, we don't recognize people by human standards, even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know him now. We see Jesus differently when we've made him Lord and above and all-powerful and holding dominion over all the chaos that's in our lives and in our world and in the world. And so I'm talking about how we see Jesus differently. I was talking about how we need to play hide-and-seek. We need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I was just telling the church, I'm like, church, you got to see Jesus differently. He's above everything. He's over everything. He's so for you, and you got to see him that way even when life gets chaotic, and I'm preaching this message, and I'm like, but you got to guard your heart because when you're seeing Jesus that way, things are going to come at you from the left and from the right, and, and, and your heart can be crushed sometimes. And you got to guard your heart for it determines the course of your life. And I preached back in September on, on trust. And I use those scriptures in First and Second Timothy about knowing the one you trust and guarding what God's entrusted to you. And then I talked about learning to let hope float. 
And I use Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not. Everyone say, lean not. Lean not. On your own understanding. Not all of that. I just meant lean not. But thank you so much for being participatory. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And sometimes we get into situations in life where we start to lean on other things. And the best thing we can do is we need to learn to lean on the Lord and let our hope float above the situation with the grace of God and trust that he's working in the situation. So I'm pumped. I'm like, this is a great encouraging word for the church. And I'm like, then set your hope and anticipate what God can do. And I go into Ephesians chapter 3 where it says he can do above all, beyond, exceeding more than you can ask and this I was like God this is a message so this was five and a half years ago 18 months before I become the lead pastor I'm just hanging out at engage hoping pastor Brett will kick me out to plant a church at some point we were expecting our fourth child at the time and 11 days later we lost that baby at 24 weeks and I sat there and I said, Lord, <laughs> you gave me this word about letting our lives float above the chaos. Lord, you gave us this promises about guard your heart. And, I, and, and like, I, was, I didn't know what to do for my family, for my wife, for my kids. And I, and I hear the scriptures because I had preached them like 10 days before. Guard your heart, Jeremy. Guard your heart right now because this is not going to get easier day in and day out. And I, and I want you to know that your pain and the things that you got to carry in life aren't actually dictated by whether you're a good person or a bad person or this or that. It happens to all of us. And sometimes we got to walk through things. And I remember bringing our older three children for the very first time to an ultrasound, they had never been to one before. This was the one we decided to bring them to. And having to rush them out of that room and leave my wife alone, knowing what had happened, calling our parents, and having to walk through this. And I sat there in a hospital saying, Lord, I just preached a message on hope and your grace in the chaos and what you want to do and how you need to guard your heart. And God, you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or we hope or imagine. But God, I don't know if I, I can carry any of that right now. May 13th, 2018. So we go through that. I'm slotted to preach six, seven weeks later. <laughs> and I just said, Lord... I need you, and I need a word. And I think Larry could probably remember this, because I remember having a very in-depth conversation with him after. I preached a new message called, So What Now? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 15, we find Moses again. You know, such a swing between Exodus 2 
and God saving and preserving him as a deliverer, and he grows up with everything he could have ever asked for in Pharaoh's house. He's treated as a king's son. He grows in all that. And one chapter later, you hit Exodus 3, and Moses finds himself in a desert because here's what happens in the middle of that. He goes and he decides, Lord, I need to know who you are, and I need to know who my people are and what you want to do in my life. And so in an effort to serve and know God, he tries to stop the oppression of the Egyptians on a Hebrew slave and he takes hold of an Egyptian that's beating one of the Hebrew slaves and he kills him. And he goes from rescued by God, raised in a king's house to alone in a desert saying, God, what is going on? What is happening now? And he has this Picture and he, he's, he becomes a shepherd, which I think when you look at it, Moses grew up till he was almost 40 as a son of Pharaoh, treated as one of the king's sons, a prince, and Egyptians despise shepherds. Because later on we read when Joseph calls his family, when he calls uh, he calls all of his brothers back, and he says, come live here. He goes, but ask to live in the land of Goshen because the Egyptians, they, they despise shepherds. They think it's beneath them, all this stuff. So Moses goes from everything he knows to wanting to do what God calls him to do to a wilderness where he's doing the thing he was taught to despise his entire life, feeling, God, what is going on? And if there was ever an opportunity for a man to feel alone and broken and isolated and desperate, I think Moses probably had that. And God brought some good things in the wilderness there. He met his wife. Some of y'all just need to hear this. You feel like you're in the wilderness? You can meet your spouse in the wilderness. That's okay. Just don't get so fixated on it. Trust God. But then he has this encounter with God where he sees the burning bush. And he turns aside to see it because it wouldn't have been uncommon for him to see a bush or some grass on fire in the wilderness. Because when you're in the desert, the little bit of grass there was, it was dry, it was brittle. If the sun got hot, it would burn up, it would, it would burn, and then the sand would just kind of stop the fire. But yet he sees this bush burning, but it's not burning. It's on fire, but everything underneath is staying intact. And isn't that how our life feels sometimes? It's like feels like everything's on fire all around us, but yet like God's like, I'm trying to preserve something on the inside of you. And Moses turns aside and he looks at this and, and, and God says to Moses, I, I've called you to do this. I feel like Moses is probably like, Lord, I've felt this in my heart before, but like how? Like, do you see where I am? Do you understand what's going on in my life right now? So he starts arguing with God like we do. We argue with God in the best of times, let alone in the times when we're feeling down, discouraged, broken, not knowing where he's going to lead us next. It says, Moses protested to God in verse 11, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? He's like, I used to live in that house. Now I'm living a life that they despise. Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? God answered, I'll be with you. And this will be your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship at this very mountain. But Moses protested, I'll, if I go to the people and tell them, the God of your ancestors said to me, they'll ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, and this is so pivotal, he says, I am who I am. Say this to the people that the I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So in the midst of his wilderness experience, Moses goes back to Egypt. He sees all of these powerful plagues that affect the Egyptians. And it's like, God's giving us victory. He's going to bring us out. They leave Egypt on that day with gold and silver and plunder and they get out and then they get to the Red Sea and then it's like here's the army coming and, and at the Red Sea God says the most why are you crying out to me stretch out your hand parts the Red Sea it's like like that's a weird question like why are you crying out to me like it's like God saying to Moses I told you I'd do this like just keep going keep moving but in the middle of our stuff we're so often in that place like Lord I thought you were bringing us out. Did you bring us out just to be chased down? And they go through the Red Sea, and then there's tambourines, and there's shouting, and there's dancing, and there's joy, and this famous Miriam song that we sang in Pentecostal churches for years about the horse and rider cast into the sea, and I hear it in the back of my brain. And they sing this glorious song, but a few days later, a few weeks later, why are we in the wilderness to die? How come there's no peanut butter and jam for our bread? How come there's no, like they're like asking for leeks and something like, you want onions? Like that's a weird thing to crave in the desert. Onions? Vegetables? They ask for meat later and then God's like, I'll give you so much meat you'll be sick of it. Dead birds everywhere. It probably felt like you feel when you eat KFC, right? Like that's the... You want to be gluttonous, satisfy your appetite? I'll show you how that feels. It's probably where KFC started. <laughs> and in Exodus 14, it says this. It says, they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Like, you got to know, this is how bad it gets. At least if we died in Egypt, there were graves there. What? There's lots of dirt in the desert. What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, well, leave us alone. They, let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And this is sometimes what our heart goes to when it's not functioning right with the the Holy Spirit, and the promise of God. That's why Proverbs says that, uh, you know, without vision, people perish. But then it also says that, you know, you can endure some things for a while, but who can endure a crushed heart, a broken heart? And that's why the Proverbs also say you need to guard your heart. And when we're in these moments and we're in these seasons where we're like, God, I thought you were moving. I thought things were going good. And it's like, left and right all of a sudden these extra things hit us and and we don't know what to do and you're in this call of God and you're trying to walk out what God's called for you you're saying God why would I be here wouldn't it be better to at least just do what I want to do and enjoy some parts of life than uh, follow you and still experience the same pain because let me tell you when you choose to follow God it's difficult some days I've probably shared this before, but I had a friend when we lived in Vancouver, he'd say to me all the time, we'd go for these long talks and coffee, and he'd say, Jeremy, when you truly say you want to follow God, it sucks. 
Because everyone else says, I'll do this, I'll do that, and I'll make good decisions, and I'll go to church on Sunday. He goes, but when you say, Jesus, I'm going to let you lead my life, he goes, when you have to pray about this decision and pray about that move and actually care what God thinks in the every instance of your life, sometimes you don't get to do what you want to do. You have to do what God asks you to do, and it's not easy. And I remember five and a half years ago sitting, wondering, asking God, what do I do? And I thank God for his grace and I thank God for his strength because one of the things that Brandy and I had determined in that season and one of the things that I knew we would be okay, even though there were many days we didn't feel okay, that when we got that news, I should probably talk to my wife before sharing some of these things, but I love you. (laughs) The thing that struck my heart and I held on to was the first name she cried out was not mine. It was not someone else. It was Jesus. And I actually knew in that moment that if we're calling out to Jesus in the deepest, darkest, most difficult times, we'll be okay. Because I'm not her source. She can't be mine. We need the Lord to lead us forward so we can stay unified in our marriage and our family, even when the unthinkable is happening. And, and some of you, I feel like you've been through these ups and downs lately, and you're, you're in this place where there's so many of them. I can't even share all of them with the church, and, and, and sometimes I get an insight to, to hear about things, and this is not me pre- trying to preach your situation. I just really felt the Holy Spirit tell me that you need to tell some people today. That there are two things that you need to be reminded of because good, bad, ugly, joyful, exuberant, the best years of your life, the best moments, the best days of your life, the intermingling of all of that, God has not changed in the middle of that. And we need to get back to a place as God's people and as his church where we center in and we focus on him because that's how we're going to be okay. In Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7, it says that God came down in a cloud, and he stood there with him, and he cried out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger, and I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And this morning, what I really felt to share with you is when you're in that place and you're in those moments where you say, God, I was hopeful. I thought things were turning a corner. I thought everything was going to be good. And something came out of left field and it came from the side or it came at me from behind and I don't understand it and I can't even reconcile all of it. And I'm in this place where I'm saying, God, I want to keep moving forward with you, but my question in my heart is truly, what now? What's next? How do I keep walking with you, God? How do I keep trusting you? How do I keep serving you? And I think what God reminded me of in that season, and and seven weeks later I was able to preach this, is he reminded me out of these scripture about two things. And the first one is this. If you're ever in a place where you wonder, what now? I don't know what to do. God, are you still working? Are you still moving? You need to remember this, that God is consistently consistent. That God is who he says he is, and he does not change. 
Because we sometimes base the grace, the love, the goodness, the measure of God's power, his authority, his desire to walk with us or help us in our life based on our situation, the circumstance, the chaos. But we need to base it on his character, which is consistently consistent, that he is who he says he is, that he is not changing. He's always moving. He's leading us forward. But he does not change the way he feels about you. He does not change the plans in the future he wants to lead you into and just because life happens sometimes and you don't know what to do and you say God what now what's my next step one of the first things you got to get your heart to and your mind wrapped around saying that I am not going to let the chaos tell me who God is I'm going to let the word of God tell me who he is and the word tells me that he's consistent and he's faithful and he's true and he's going to lead me forward when I cast my heart towards him This is why God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Because Moses is like, God, what do I tell these people? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Where are you now, God? No prophetic word. No church service. No upright. Like, God, like, seriously, like, they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, like, who are you really? And this is the first time we see his name in the Bible where he says in Hebrew, the Eheya Asher Eheya, which I probably butchered right now. This, this phrase where he says, I am who I am. Which means I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm everything. You wonder why people got so mad at Jesus, the Pharisees got so mad at Jesus? Because when he says, I am, the light of the Lord, he was using the same I am statements that God used to describe himself in Exodus. And they were saying, this is blasphemy. You can't be God. And Jesus is saying, well, I am God. And I was there at the foundations of the earth. And I'm here now, and I'll be there at the end. And one of the ways to translate this Hebrew phrase is, whatever I am, I will be. Meaning, whatever God is like, he is like that way consistently. He is unshifting. He is stable 24-7. He does not change in his goodness, in his grace, in his justice, in his holiness, in his strength, or in his power. And so because our world changes, and the things around us change, and our hearts melt, and we fear, and we're anxious at times, we got to say, Lord, what now? And he will bring you back to the place where he reminds you that I am who I am. Let's not worry so much about what the world is. We got to pay attention. We got to pray. We got to know how to order and organize our world and walk through things, but we got to say, Lord, who are you in the midst of that? And he says, I am who I am. I haven't changed. I'm still here. I'm still sovereign. I still rule and reign. And so then Moses answered the people in Exodus 14, verse 13 to 14. He said this. When he went to the people, he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, you will never see again and the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And I really believe that that's a prophetic statement for some people here right now. Where you need to hear in your heart again, it's not a day to be afraid. It's a day to stand firm in who God is, not in what your situation is trying to tell you. And that the Lord will bring deliverance and he will fight for you. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know what it's actually going to look like. 
But what I do know is that God is consistently consistent and he's not changing. And so when you stand firm on him, when you set your hope in Jesus, when you look at who he is, you can trust that he will fight for you. He will lead you forward. You don't have to fear because at the end of the day, you are the Lord's and he is yours. And you can trust him. And so in that season of life, I I, I was really shocked this morning because I was like, Lord, I want to preach. I don't want to share. Because then I get emotional and vulnerable. And I remember being in that season because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember those messages that came to my heart. And I went to my computer and I looked at what dates I preached them. And I'm like, Lord, I can't believe that the Hope Floats message was literally 10 days before all this happened. Because so it changes the way. I'm like, if I would have wrote that after, Oh, man, what a powerful word. God was working my heart. No, I wrote it before. And then the weeks after, I had to live it out. I had to walk with my family and say, Lord, the Lord is going to carry us above this. The Lord is still going to move in this situation. And then I came to this next message, which was the next time I preached. I only preached every six weeks then. I was working bivocationally. And I was saying, Lord, like, like, honestly, Lord, like, I've determined to not stop following Jesus. And sometimes you need to make those decisions where I've said it before, and I think it's Pastor Chris Hodges that says this all the time, uh, decisions lead and feelings follow. One of the best things you can do in your life as a young adult, as a young married couple, uh, as a man or woman of God, when you're new in your faith, make some decisions that determine how you're going to walk with the Lord before you even have to question that. Determining that, you know, for our house, we'll serve the Lord. doesn't matter if things don't go the way we want. We're going to keep serving the Lord. Determine that just because there's an advantage or there's a way to get ahead, uh, maybe in this part of life relationally or financially or whatever, our heart is to serve the Lord and walk out what he's called us in, that we'll pursue calling over comfort. There's days I wish I hadn't said that. There's days I'm like, Lord... You know, like they said in Egypt, like when they go back and they say, uh, you know, why, why are we in the wilderness? Better to be a slave in Egypt. I'm like, hey, maybe I should be a slave in the world. Just make some money, enjoy life with my family. And who cares about the calling God has to lead people forward? Because can I just tell you, when you're in any leadership position, I would say this, not just for me and Brandy, but for anyone who leads in this house, in this church, pray for them. Because when you take on a call to lead, you carry a warfare that most people don't experience. And that's not a boo-hoo. That's just the reality of being obedient to what God has called you to. And so some of us, when we're learning things in our life and ministries, it's learning the levels of warfare. And, and we have leaders in this house that they need your prayers. Because sometimes they're facing things that are like, God, like, I, I'm not even doing it. Like, these things are happening, and it's like, Why? And it's just because of the spiritual atmosphere and the temperature of what God is trying to do and move people forward. So if the enemy can get leaders and people who are encouragers and who have a prophetic voice discouraged in their house, then there's no one to encourage the rest of the body. It's okay to be discouraged. It's okay to be down. I have those days. Brandy has those days. It's really bad when we have those days at the same time. So that's why we got to phone other people that aren't having that day at the same time. This is why we need each other. And I want to remind you that when you have these emotions and these feelings, God is consistently consistent. But the second thing is this. And we'll have the keyboard player come back up. 
I won't make the singer stand up here for seven minutes. Sometimes when you're in the season and your heart is screaming, what now, Lord? You have to remember that he just wants to bring you close. And sometimes the formative things of who you become as a man or woman of God are actually solidified in the dark season more than they are in the the bright, happy, exciting season. And it's not saying that God willed you there or he's so vindictive that, well, I'm going to teach them a lesson and do this. No, but when you experience those things, he will use those moments and those seasons to say, hey, let's, let's, let's shape and form something in the dark underneath the surface. If you'd let my Holy Spirit work, because there will be new fruit that comes out of this. One of the worst prophetic words I've ever gotten is from a friend of mine, Pastor Greg Fraser, Father's House in Mournville, so you can go listen to him. Not the worst prophetic word. I'm like, I hated it. That's why. That's why. I was in in between season. He said, we're, we're morning prayer. So I was friends with all the pastors. There's about six, eight pastors there, and I, I was just in a broken season. Not in the, and, and they're praying for people, so they put me in a chair, and they're praying for me, and we were taking turns. And he says, Jeremy, I just see this. He goes, a seed goes into the ground to die. And God is doing work beneath the surface and it's in the dirt and it's not, you're not going to like it, but you will only be who you're called to be when you come through this. I'm like, seriously, pastor, what kind of friend are you? I'm discouraged. And he says, no, embrace the dark season. Let God do something beneath the surface that no friend, no human, no person could ever understand because when God grows it in your life and it springs forward, it brings fruit that brings life. It's not man-made. It's not fake. It's not cheap statements that, well, bless God, I'm praying for you. Maybe God just can use it as part of his plan. Just telling you, like, when someone's broken and discouraged, like, well, God always has a plan. That's a, like, that's a dumb thing to say to broken, hurting people. We all know that. Maybe it's better to ask a question and saying, I don't know how this is going to work, but how can I pray for you so you can see God's strength in your situation? Maybe instead of trying to give statements so we don't have to carry most people, maybe we ask questions to invite ourselves and say, how do I carry this with you? How do I pray with you? So God can do the work that we can't fix on our own. And what I want you to know is that in the middle of these seasons, that God will call you close. And when they were in the wilderness, God came down in the pillar of cloud. He protected them in the pillar of fire. And the first thing that they said in, in, in Egypt when they were telling Pharaoh of why they wanted to go to the wilderness, did you not ever catch this? Because in the midst of all the plagues and all the things and, you know, plagues of frogs and rivers turned to blood and flies everywhere and, and hailstorms and all of these things, you know, in the midst of that, the thing Moses kept asking was, can we go out into the desert so we can worship? You ever think God's brought you out of things sometimes? Not just so you could be free from your sin and your shame and your past, but that you could actually encounter and meet him and worship. 
And even when it's dark, I would venture to tell you and say to you that his voice is still calling, that in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of what feels like plagues, in the midst of the things that feel too hard, his heart would be to say that I want to call you close to me in the midst of this. Church, wherever you're at today, one of the greatest reminders you can instill in your heart, in your life, you're saying, God, so what now? I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to change this. You need to to solidify this, cement this in your heart. You need to say, Lord, help me remember that you are who you say you are. I think that's the problem with some Christians is that they don't actually know the word. You want to live in a day and age that social media will tell us how to do everything, what to believe, scriptures out of context, things like that. If you are not in the word of God for yourself and letting it wash over you so you actually have a filter for how you see those things and interpret those things, you are not going to be able to stand strong. Because what we've let happen is we've let people who take little snippets tell us who God is based on their circumstance or their experience, but that might not be who God is in his true character according to the word of God. And we got to get back to those things. He's consistently consistent. He is who he says he is. But honestly, in how busy we get and the things we produce in life and the joy we can find on this side of eternity. I'm not saying that, oh my goodness, we should be in church all the time and always worshiping, always praying. I feel like I'm always praying, but I, I feel like it comes out of a heart of, God, thank you that I get to enjoy this sport with my kids. Lord, thank you that you're doing this in my family. Lord, I can't believe what's going on in this situation or that situation, but help me to know that you are true and you are faithful and you don't change. And when we cement that in our heart, when we face things, when we go through things, when it gets dark, we can remember that there's grace in the dark because God says, is who he says he is. And he wants to bring you close. Because more than I would even venture to say God wants you to experience whether it's financial peace or relational peace or freedom in this area or that area of addiction. I actually think the heart of God above and beyond any of that is he just so desperately loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Just as you are. And when you experience a love of God like that, then you'll change. But sometimes we're so fixated on feeling the feelings or getting it right. And, and so we, we stay far off from who God is. And he's saying, no, 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 I want you to come close. And so I, I just really felt this morning that as we stand and close our eyes, I, I do want to open up the front for prayer. And I think Larry's got something to share. Let's stand this morning.
in Deuteronomy 4 verse 7 that says this for what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call him isn't that incredible what people what nation has a God or a comfort or someone who's near to them as our God is near to us whenever we want to come close to him Psalm 34, 16 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalm 145, verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his acts, and the Lord is near to all those who call out to him. And I know today we want to have lunch and we want to meet some people, but I think we could take five, ten minutes. I, I really challenge you. I think God some of you the biggest faith step for you is saying God if you want to pull me close I'm going to come close hey thanks for joining us today if you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you